podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Jake Hescock. I'm Sam Jackson. My name is Derek Amos. I'm Kalia Davis, and you're watching the Sons of UCF Live. And you're watching Sons of UCF Live. You're watching the Sons of UCF. You're watching the Sons of UCF Live. I'm Dylan Gabriel, and you're watching the Sons of UCF. Thank you, guys. How about that? Hello, Night Nation. I'm Trace Trolko. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live. 28 days until UCF kicks off the 2021 season. We have the latest from preseason camp. We're talking about the linebackers tonight. We're answering your questions in the mailbag. Let's welcome in the Sons of UCF, Adam and Mike. They, like AAC Commissioner Mike Oresco, deny colluding with ESPN. Uh, Trace, I'm not answering any questions from you. I saw what you did to Luke Fickle and Jeff Scott. You're not trapping me like that, buddy. I'm not answering those. Mike, you take this one. Trace, I told you off camera, bang up job this weekend, this whole week. Interview With all the interviews all over the AAC, you did represent the Suns well, man. Thank you very much. It was nice to hear uh, uh, Chuck, uh, the uh, media relations director for the league. Uh, Chuck Sullivan introduced me with Sons of UCF, especially before the uh, interviews with the cows. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I, I didn't even see that coming, so that was awesome. Not bad, not bad. Uh, let's get into some football news from today. Of course, new watch lists are out. Sons of UCF on the podcast watch list, right? Uh, so much talk about the Sons in the Dungeon message board this week. Also, Dylan Gabriel, Manning Award for Best Quarterback. Jalen Robinson for an award I've never heard of, quite honestly. The Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award for Top Offensive Player. These guys' names keep appearing on these watch lists as preseason camp underway for the Knights out in East Orlando. I mean, I guess that's good news, right? You want our you want our guys' names on the on the tongues of national media, folks. Uh, I don't. But to your point, I don't know what some of these awards mean, and and uh, ultimately, the the bigger award, I think Dylan Gabriel said it a bunch this week. Um, personal stats don't matter; wins matter. So, uh, who knows what these awards mean? I, I just want to hear Mike's head explode when he has to remember all these watch lists. I have news for these guys. I was going to watch them anyway, whether they were on a watch list or not. <laughs> now we got to wait to what become semi-finalists, like halfway through the season, and then finalists, and, and then narrow the, the list down as the season goes on. But it, it's good to have guys on all these lists, I guess. Yeah, definitely good to have uh, guys on the list. Preseason camp underway. Couple of days of practice in. Have had opportunity to meet with head coach Gus Malzahn. Uh, and defensive coordinator T. Will, Travis Williams. The way the format's going to look like for uh, the duration of camp is that it's going to rotate between Coach Malzahn and Coach Williams. So it doesn't look like Coach Malzahn is going to make his other assistants available. Today was with Coach Williams. But Coach Malzahn laid out what he says are his goals during preseason camp. Our goals were to identify two deep by the end of fall camp. Um, you know, we have a lot of transfers. We've got... Uh, a lot of guys, we were curious to see how they do their development from spring. Uh, the second uh, goal is identify the strengths in all, all three phases. We've got a pretty good idea, um, you know, overall, but we'll, we'll definitely define that. And then the bottom line is who we can count on. Who we can count on. An interesting question. Can I steal a question that was given to us in the Suns uh, mailbag from at MIA Barnes too? What's going on with Bentavious Thompson, the running back? You guys talked a little bit about it as it was breaking on Monday. 
And uh, Coach Malzahn would only say when asked, and we knew he wasn't going to say much of anything. He's no longer with us. We wish him nothing but the best. He will not be competing for a spot in that too deep. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's unfortunate. We don't know the details surrounding this. I mean, first things first. Uh, we obviously we hope everything's okay with Bentavious, um, and uh, and and things are well. Uh, you know, it it certainly hurts, right? And he was our our veteran running back coming back. We'd all rooted for him for a bunch of years. You know, he put in the time behind uh, such great running backs as Otis Anderson and Greg McRae, uh, and so he thought this was his opportunity this season. So to to have that taken away. Um, you can only hope the, the best for the kid. Uh, it's going to be a blow to UCF. Obviously, we have some talent, but we have a, a lot of unproven guys outside of maybe Isaiah Bowser. Uh, so we'll see what this means. But uh, obviously, we wish the best for Mentavious and, and hope all is well. Yeah, we haven't got a, an explanation as to what actually happened. I know there's rumors circulating. I don't want to speculate on anything like that. And he was thought of to me in uh, competition for the number one spot at running back. Remember, in 2017, we lost our number one running back in what, the second game of the year in, in Jawan Hamilton. In the Maryland game. And that season turned out pretty good. We're lucky enough to have a lot of depth at the running back position. So hopefully the other guys are ready to step it up. But still, you lose a little bit of that depth and uh, a proven running back with a lot of guys we don't know a whole lot about. So that's going to be one of the interesting storylines to watch, especially in that first game just 28 days away against Boise State. Media Day was opportunity to meet with players one-on-one -on -one in the Nicholson Fieldhouse had opportunity to meet with Dylan Gabriel. We have a snippet from him on what he says we can expect to see in terms of changes in the offense this year. Yes. I'd say the splits, you know, just being able to, you know, cut down to a little more normal and not as wide. Um, uh, I think that's probably the, the biggest one for us. Um, and just, you know, obviously we're going to be the same, you know, running the ball and, and throwing it you know, around. That's something, you know, we pride ourselves on. A little snippet from him on what we can expect to see. The full one-on-one -on -one interview, about five minutes. I mean, we don't get much time with these guys if you'd want to try and get with everybody. But that's going to be where, Adam, on the Sons of UCF YouTube page, which is something you should already be subscribing to. I don't know why you're not. Yeah, Sons of UCF YouTube page or uh, twonightsmedia.com, 9.15. Uh, that'll drop right after the show. So if you want to hear what uh, Trace and Dylan chatted about, Lord knows what it could be. I don't know. Maybe he asked him a whole bunch of questions. You saw Trace this week. So you might want to tune in to find out if you got any hot scoops out of Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, the offense is going to be different this year, but it's still going to be explosive. Malzahn is going to play to Dylan's strengths. He already said that. So I think we'll see a more balanced offense, yet still fast-paced and exciting. You notice there that Dylan was sitting on top of that table when I approached him. He said, can I, can I just sit on top of the table? Yeah, of course you can. You're, you're on a lot of watch lists. If you want to sit on a table and talk to us, that's, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, we but, saw he, he threw up the, the, the shock, I think it's called, at the end of the ACC, the double with the smile. He, he definitely got some personality there. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, good to talk with him and several other guys. Again, that interview with Dylan coming up at 9.15, released on the YouTube channel in Two Nights Media. Question, though, 28 days out, is what kind of an impact uh, is COVID going to have on the season? Uh, you know, we are expecting perhaps a full bounce house on that Thursday, but already we're seeing the Boise State program impacted by COVID. The word coming out Tuesday night that uh, practice would be closed to media and guests for the Boise State football team because of COVID inside the program. Last week on this show, we had B.J. Raines, the beat reporter for the Idaho Press and Blue Turf Sports. He was on the Sons of UCF Live. He was asked about 
COVID. Adam, what, what did he say? A lower percentage, to be honest, right now. I know uh, uh, it sounds like they've got some work to do in that area at Mountain West Media Days in Las Vegas. Uh, last week, the Mountain West said there was like seven teams that were above 80%, and I confirmed that Boise State is not one of those. And uh, Andy Avalos said, uh, I think he didn't want to reveal the numbers, but I think he said that they, quote, had some work. Interesting from BJ on this show last week. He and I have been communicating. Boise State, though, not communicating much with the media in regards to this situation. Gus Malzahn has been using this term that UCF is in the 70% uh, area in terms of the vaccination rate. We heard on Media Day, Navy at 100%, East Carolina at 99%. What is your concerns about this news out of Boise and just the rise of COVID again and how it may impact college football again this season. Yeah, the Boise news is concerning because if you don't, we don't know the numbers. We don't quite know what's going on there. But I think I saw BJ follow up with a, a tweet uh, either today or yesterday that said that Boise is one of only the only school he could find that's gone to close practices and only Zoom uh, media availability. So there, there certainly must be concern there, which which is concerning. And to your point, we're we're a handful of days away here. Um, and at some point, you, you hope they can make the trip down. But I, I mean, I think we're, we're going to be dealing with this throughout the season as, as you do deal with teams and hear about some of these potential exposures. Um, it certainly would certainly would suck. It's a, such a such a big opportunity for, for UCF and Boise to play on that night that if either team can't uh, can't answer the bell, that's going to be a bummer. That would be a disaster. I mean, we've waited all offseason for this game, all the hype with the Gus bust. I, I can only pray that this game gets played on September 2nd. And I wonder how much of this is. I mean, I know that they, he just said that they didn't test very high for COVID, but how much is this a, a new coach that just wants to close the doors to everybody and keep the media out of it? Maybe that has a little something to do with it. Well, interesting about that, the change of pace now under Coach Malzahn versus Coach Heupel before that Coach Frost. It is Coach Malzahn who selects the players that uh, meet with the media following practice. And uh, at least in terms of today, we had no idea who was coming in. So there's no real way to prep uh, for who you're going to have uh, stand up at that podium. And it appears the interviews are going to be done from the podium in the media room. So a little bit of a change. But on COVID, Commissioner Mike Oresco of the league made a little bit of news when he said that if a game is impacted by COVID, it will not be rescheduled. The team impacted could face a forfeit. So uh, that an interesting position. Not going to be a bunch of moving games around. Uh, at least from the commissioner's office, trying to take this issue seriously and trying to send a message to the teams that they need to be on the ball about COVID. Yeah, it puts the onus on the schools, right, to do the right thing, whatever whatever that thing is for, for those players in that school. Um, if that's distancing, if that's vaccinations, if that's protocols, whatever that thing is, it puts the onus on the schools to to really kind of hold the team accountable, hold themselves accountable. Um, you know, not that anyone did anything nefarious last season, but obviously a bunch of things got moved around. Some games got canceled. I'm not saying Cincinnati benefited from it, but I'm not saying they didn't. And so this year at least kind of levels that playing field for uh, for everybody and puts the onus on the school to do the right thing. How many guys are necessary to travel to a game? I remember last year there was a game, I believe it was Temple, and they came in here very shorthanded. Uh, as long as we have 22 guys, are we able to go make a trip? Or is there, I think there's a limit, maybe somewhere of 40, 50 players. Yeah, I thought it was 40 or 50. It's uh, in the 40s, I year. think, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm going to so say Temple at 45, I think, that, that game, Mike. Yeah, it's going to take uh, about half your roster being testing positive for COVID for a game to be canceled or forfeited, I would think. But you're putting yourself at a big disadvantage if, say, you're missing your whole secondary or all your quarterbacks are out. 
Yeah, certainly the case. Uh, of course, the uh, preseason media poll, members of the media participated in that. I shared with you that I was asked to participate in that. Cincinnati with 22 first-place votes, two for UCF. Hmm, I wonder who might have been one of those two. Is that you? Did you listen to what I told you? Yeah, might have been one of those two. UCF coming in second there. Uh, SMU, who I think is going to be a contender all season long in the AAC. You're going to put up some points on offense. Uh, third, you see the poll on the screen. Houston, fourth. Memphis, fifth. Then Tulsa, Tulane. East Carolina Navy in a tie. Temple, and who's that in 11th? You know, if you don't play and schedule the best teams, how could you ever be one of the best teams? Not a lot of respect over there in Tampa. Green UConn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hand it to Sublime Knight on Twitter. I think he said 11 is too high uh, for them. So, <laughs> Yeah, we can put Wichita State ahead of them. What, what do you think about that? <laughs> or, or UConn. <laughs> it feels like they're still in the league with how many games they have scheduled against AAC opponents in the, uh, this season and the years <laughs> ahead. Uh, where do you think? You think that's fair? Uh, Cincinnati coming off of the conference championship. Uh, and, you know, Adam, you mentioned – a little bit of a different schedule here. They had two road games last year, and uh, this year they're going to go to Indiana. They're going to go to Notre Dame. These are going to be top 20, top 15 teams. If they can win in those places, it's going to be a good year for Cincinnati. Yeah, look, you know, you if you want to dethrone the champ, you got to dethrone the champ, right? Cincinnati clearly had a, a great season last year. They had the, probably the, the better season. Uh, well, clearly they had the better season. Uh, so I have no issues with them being ranked number one. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's really up to UCF to go in there and knock them off the throne. We have an opportunity on October 16th to do that. Uh, and so I'm not surprised. I'm not. Uh, I'm not even offended by it. Frankly, I think that's that's almost how you want it. I think if if I'm Gus Malzahn, I want that chip on our shoulder. I want to go in there and show these guys what's going on. If I'm Dylan Gabriel, I'm 0 2 against Cincinnati, and and I want to get I want to get a win uh, against them before I get out of here. So I'm I'm fine with that. I think it gives a little extra motivation, but I think it's fair when you look at the seasons we had last year. Yeah, I think you have to rank them one coming into the season overall. That'd be like somebody not ranking us first coming into 2019 season after two undefeated regular seasons. Uh, I'm not scared of them, so let's see how it plays out. Personally, I, I think we're going to go all the way and win the conference, but uh, I'm not one of the voters. Yeah, and for the fourth consecutive year, you're predicting they win all of the games. Is that not, uh, that's not correct? We will see in our preview show coming up. Well, have you watched any of the AAC media days uh, that were broadcast on ESPN Plus? You saw a face across both uh, both nights of this and the day yesterday. Rini Ingolia joins us now, the ESPN football analyst, just back from Texas. Rini, thanks for joining us on the Sons of UCF Live. Fresh off the plane, just for you guys. <laughs> uh, I've got to ask you right off the top. I was on there all day long. Have you ever done an interview on media days with someone – Temple say on the back of a bus. No, uh, no, and it probably won't happen again. You know, I guess it's just one of those things. I think it it kind of come up came up last second uh, for the conference, and they thought it was going to work, and obviously it didn't. But you know, listen, I get it with Rod Carey. I mean, that team had it worse than anyone uh, last year with COVID. I mean, they didn't play a game till October tenth. Um, and you could just kind of, even in the limited questions we had, you could just hear it in his voice. Uh, he's just ready for this year to get going. So, I mean, I kind of get it. Before we talk a little bit more about the uh, shakeout of that poll, 
What are some of your observations of Media Day? What was it like to be in those studios in Texas and just the experience? I mean, you were in your chair all day long listening to all yeah. of these sessions. So the studio's brand new. It's beautiful. That was the, uh, the first thing that's ever been done from that studio. So it, it worked great. Uh, the Americans' new headquarters there in Texas are beautiful. Uh, so really nice spot. Um, and then so the and then the the virtual day, um, I think we were the only uh, the American was the only big time conference to really do it virtually. And I guess they just kind of went with it this year, you know, because if you remember, the uh, conference headquarters used to be in Providence because it used to be the Big East. And then they used to have the big clam bake every year. And that was very popular. And I actually was at the last one in twenty nineteen. Um, but obviously they moved to Texas for obvious reasons, and I think it was the correct move. Um, but they ended up doing it virtually this year. So I'll, I'll be curious to see the feedback from the coaches and the programs if they're going to want to try to do it next year like that. i got a feeling it'll probably be back in person next year. But, but you know what? All in all, um, being virtual like that, being the first time the studio was used, I, I thought it was pretty good. It is a long couple days, though. <laughs> Well, as you were coming on, we were talking about the preseason poll, Rainey, and obviously Cincinnati won UCF two. How big a gap you think there is between those two teams? What's the gap between UCF and Cincinnati right now? I think I stumped him. You, bro- <laughs> you broke up. I don't know if it's my internet or yours. It better not be my internet because I just upgraded. I heard you say UCF Cincinnati one and two, and then what was the next part? Yeah, what's the gap between those two programs in your in your opinion right now? I, I don't think the gap's that much. It, listen, defense, right? We know the issue is defense with UCF, right? And last year, the, the games I watched with the UCF, uh, the back end was fine. Um, they had problems with the front seven. So now you're getting Kalia Davis back, right? So that's not uh, going to be a problem. You get Big Cat Bryant. So I think you're going to be fine with that defensive line. It's linebacker play. Now, those guys are back. I know – Gilliard's back and uh, John Baptiste is back. So you've got another year of experience. But listen, you got a fresh look, right, with new coaches, new defensive coaches. Uh, you're going to put some new schemes in. So if defense can improve, and I, I believe they will, uh, the gap to me isn't much. And now, and then Cincinnati has to deal with, yeah, they got a lot back. They lose Marcus Freeman, right? And so, you know, it was funny because I've done a lot of Cincinnati games and I've met Marcus Freeman and met with him a ton of times. And, they always said, oh, he's one of the best young coaches in college. So he's really one of, the, he's one of the best defensive coordinators in college. But I don't care what your age is. Um, so they lose him to Notre Dame. So that's going to be a little adjustment for them, too. So I, I don't think the gap is is that wide. I mean, I do agree with the poll. I think Cincinnati needs to be one, UCF two, and should be a good year. I think we all agree that those are the top two teams coming into the season. What other teams in the conference do you see challenging those teams or maybe even pushing them to get into the conference championship game? So, you know, I, there's a couple. I hedged my bet yesterday. Uh, I, I like SMU and Sonny Dykes. Now, they got a little bit of a, uh, I wouldn't say a quarterback issue, but we don't know who they're going to pick a quarterback. But whatever kid they pick, I think they're going to be okay. Um, Tulsa has a lot coming back. And the thing I like about Tulsa, and, and it's funny because Tulsa, I think, was picked sixth in the poll. But the thing I like about Tulsa is, they have their entire offensive line back, plus they picked up a couple guys in a transfer folder. So, you know, I'm an old-school guy. I, I think you, you build your teams from the inside out. So I really like that offensively. Davis Brin, I think they announced, is their, is their starter. That's the third stringer that came in, right, the, the big comeback win against Tulane. So I think they're good there. They got good skill. 
defensively, yeah, you lose Zayvon Collins. You're not replacing Zayvon Collins. But I think they got pieces there to be okay. So I kind of like Tulsa. Um, you know, Houston this year, um, gosh, is this the year that Dana Holgerson really turns the page with that program? They got ranked pretty high in the preseason poll. So I'll be fascinated to see what they do. And then Memphis is the one, right? I mean, Ryan Silverfield, I think they ended up with eight wins last year. They won their bowl game. Um, but you just you just don't know if it's the Memphis of old. So, you know, I guess if I was going to pick one, I'm, let me look at the at the poll here. I, I guess if I was going to pick one, I, I really I, I'd go with SMU, Houston, and Tulsa. That's what I'm going to hedge my bets with. And then Memphis kind of coming in soft. One team you didn't mention there was Tulane with quarterback Michael Pratt. And I think what yeah. it's to is just the competitiveness of this league. There are several teams right there in that middle that could certainly find themselves in the mix towards the end. Well, and I talked about that yesterday on the show, and I think that's a tribute to the American Athletic Conference. This conference is it's, it's really – there's a lot of parity. There's a lot there in the middle. And, and so Tulane's a program – I love Willie Fritz. I think he's a great coach. That was that program, right, guys? It was always on the latter end, right? They were always, you know, you know three and nine, four and eight. And, and finally, he gets them over that hump, right, where they get to seven and five and six and six, and they're going to some bowl games. And so they're right there. So Michael Pratt, again, uh, you know, last year as a true freshman, he gets in there, he throws 20 touchdowns, which leads the nation by true freshman. So I think that's great with him coming back. If you're a Tulane fan, you just hope he doesn't have a sophomore uh, jinx. Um, so I like their what they have back coming back, and then what I really like is I think out of all eleven teams, I think the linebacking core of Tulane is the best in the conference. So yeah, they're that team that's going to be right there. And listen, that you, you said it. This conference is so tight. If a if a Tulane all of a sudden goes on a run, they knock off a couple teams where people don't think they should win those games, then they're going to be right in. And so realistically. Cincinnati, UCF are the front runners. And then I think you got like four or five teams that are kind of all mashed in there that if they go on a run and they get hot, they could compete for to be up there for the championship as well. Let's talk about UCF for a second, Rini. How, uh, how do you think Gus Malzahn's offense is going to be different from what we've seen in the past? What should we expect to see out of his, uh, his offense? So be patient if you're a fan because most people don't know. In the day and age of today's football, right? Everyone wants to throw it around, and that's great. Gus Malzahn runs first, and, and so people need to understand that. He is going to establish the run. I think Bentavious Thompson is going to get a, a, a fair amount of carries. I think some other backs will get some carries as well, see who steps up in, in uh, preseason camp. But I think that helps Dylan Gabriel, right? Established the run. I think it helped the perimeter. Um, Jalen Robinson, I think, is going to have a big year. And look at the wide receivers he added in the transfer portal. Brandon Johnson from Tennessee, Jordan Johnson from Notre Dame, Nate Craig Myers from Auburn, you know, a Tampa Catholic kid. So, you know, that's one thing with UCF and in the recruiting that um, that they've done in, in previous years, they have a lot of talent, a lot of skill. Um, so if the offensive line play and there's some guys back there and I think they'll be OK, um, I think they're going to be fine. And so, you know, I always tell people this and, I, you know, I travel and I talk with co- many coaches every year, each week. And, and years ago, I, I talked to an offensive coordinator, and this always rings true. He said, remember, I don't care what offense you run. You throw the ball to score points, but you have to run the ball to win games. And it is so true because I don't even care if you're a spread type of offense, uh, you know, the run and shoot type, uh, 
you better be able to run the ball when you have to in those four-minute offenses to get those big first downs, to get that clock churning to ultimately win the game. So I, I think I'm gonna his offense, I think, is actually going to be really good for Dylan Gabriel. So, again, I don't think you're going to have a problem scoring points. You mentioned all the weapons he has coming in this year. If you had to pick one, I'll put you on the spot right now. We've had this debate with the Cincinnati fans. Who are you picking at quarterback, Dylan Gabriel or Desmond Ritter? So, and I'm not saying this because I live in Orlando. I, I, I really love Dylan Gabriel, okay? Um, I just, I don't think there's a quarterback uh, in all of college football that throws a better deep ball than Dylan Gabriel. And those wide receivers love that. I mean, he just puts just the perfect amount of air on the ball, right? You know, how many times you watch a game and you see a quarterback on a deep ball and you're like, oh, man, I wish you would have put more air on it. Or, or, or there's that intermediate throw where he puts too much air on it. Dylan really, you know, those intermediate passes and long passes, he's got great touch. So I love – and I think that's why they have so many home runs because he's really good at spreading it and throwing it downfield. So like, if I was going to take a quarterback, I would take Dylan Gabriel. Now, with that said – Desmond Ritter is an unbelievable leader because he's got so much experience. He's been there from day one. He comes back this year. And they're different quarterbacks, right? I mean, kind of different styles. Um, and so I like Ritter, but, I, you know, if I'm picking, um, I'm 1A with Gabriel and, and 1A- minus with Desmond Ritter. As we're four weeks out, we see the difference of going into this season with the impact of COVID than it was last season. But already Boise State, UCF's opponent in the home opener, impacted by COVID uh, and uh, some bubble around the program now. Uh, and I thought of all the sessions yesterday, perhaps Navy head coach Ken Mietpololo, and I've really butchered his name, but he spoke most eloquently about the impact of COVID on the Navy program last year. If you really, if you haven't seen that, it's archived on ESPN Plus. I really thought that was very insightful about what his program went through and what teams went through last season and what they may still be dealing with this season. Yeah, and, well, and hence why Navy has 100% vaccination uh, on their team because those kids during the uncertainty of the beginning of the COVID or football last year they were locked in their rooms, literally, you know, in Annapolis. I mean, they couldn't do anything. So, you know, if, if you got a game cancel or something happened at another team in the American, you're still a college student. You're still going to go do, you know, even probably, even though you're supposed to bubble, they're still going to get out. They're still going to do some stuff. Those kids couldn't at all. So uh, kudos to Navy for 100% vaccination. Listen, I think as camps, uh, have you know, get underway, and then a couple of them started yesterday or two days ago, some are starting today and tomorrow. I think when those players get in there, I think every team in the nation will have their medical staffs in. And, and you know, the vaccination is, is, is much about education, right? Sit down, listen to team doctors, listen to people that know what they're talking about, ask questions, find stuff out. And at the end of the day, I, you're going to find out that I, I think most of the kids are going to get vaccinated. I think by the time we kick off here in another three weeks or so, I think most teams in the nation will probably be over that 85% threshold uh, from a team. I really do believe that. And so, and obviously one for your own health and safety and two for your teammates. And, and obviously uh, you, for selfish reasons, you don't want to be the guy, right? That something happens. There's an issue during the year. And then all of a sudden you miss a game and it gets forfeited. So there's a lot of motivation if you're a player out there uh, to get vaccinated. 
Well, as you mentioned, you make your home in Orlando, so you know the area really well. Today, uh, news from UCF that Leighton Nelson, a uh, six foot seven offensive lineman from Boone High School, committed to UCF. Gus Malzahn has made it a priority to lock down Orlando and keep those kids at home. What do you think he needs to do to continue to win more of those recruiting battles? Win games. And I think I, I just saw that on Twitter. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. He turned down Florida to come to UCF, correct? That, that's correct, yes. Yeah, so, you know, win games. But, guys, th- this goes to the bigger picture, right, of the American Athletic Conference. It's not just UCF. Uh, the SMU, Cincinnati, all the t- Houston, all the teams in this conference are starting to get multiple players that have multiple offers from the Autonomous Five, right? Power Five, whatever you want to call them. And so to me, that speaks volumes of the conference, right? And then that plays right in with this whole thing that's going on with the Big 12 and realignment. And and so I just think the American is is a really good position. But with UCF, they have the facilities. They put the money in there, right? Um, Great student body, young student body, but great. Bounce house, great stadium, great weather. They have a ton of things to offer, does UCF. You get Gus Malzahn, former you know uh, college football coach of the year, brought Auburn to the national championship, comes from the SEC. And that's another thing, too, I mentioned on the show. Um, you know, for years, this conference, the American got pillaged of their coaches, right? Now you got coaches coming here. When Dana Holgerson left West Virginia after 15 years, and yeah, maybe they were on the rocks at the end, but he left and went to Houston. I thought that was a big deal. I don't think he got as much credit, of course. You know, Dana hasn't got Houston going the way he would like, but the fact to get a coach like that, and then you get a Gus Malzahn, yeah, he, he let, gets let go at Auburn, but boy, to get him at, at UCF, I just think that's a home run. And, you know, he said all the right things. He wants this to be his last job. So, yeah, it's, and UCF is on the national scale. There's no doubt about it. And just, and the more you can win, the better off you're going to be with those recruits. And, and really, to start it off, you know, you play Boise, who's a, a, you know, a national brand. Um, you get him on a Thursday night on national TV, sold out crowd. The stadium will literally be bouncing. You got to win games like that. You win games like that. You're going to, you're going to bring in more recruits. We've been talking about the strength of the conference yesterday. Michael Resco was talking about realignment. You think the Americans are in a position to add teams right now, or do we have to kind of sit back and wait to see what the big 12 decides to do? Well, I mean, I think it, it's all going to kind of depend on what the Big 12 members do, right? And I mean, Bob Bowlesby's doing what he can, right? And I understand that uh, as a conference commissioner. But at the end of the day, it's up to the individual institutions, their presidents, their chancellors, you know, their board of trustees, because, you know, the individual schools need to look out for themselves. So um, it, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I think the American is in a place of strength. I really do. So 11 uh, teams in the American, uh, 10 of the 11, top 70 and above TV markets, okay? They have five teams in the top 20 in TV markets. You got Dallas, uh, SMU and Dallas. You got Houston. uh, You got Philadelphia, Temple. You got Tampa and Orlando, all top 20 TV markets. That makes a difference in a conference. Um, and so geographically, it makes sense. If you're the Big 12, you already got two Texas schools. So it kind of depends what those individual schools decide to do. They might hold out this year, but I can tell you what, and this is just my personal opinion. I have no inside knowledge, um, even though I just came from their headquarters. Um, 
if another domino falls, I think you're going to get a cascading effect. And I, I think the Americans good. And guys, and I think you would agree with me. Five years ago or six years ago, when when the Big Twelve kind of did the dog and pony show and made UCF and Cincinnati and some other schools, you know, go out there and they put on presentations and powerpoints. And at the end of the day, they said no thanks. I think that kind of aggravated uh, fan bases and and and, and others w- within the university structure. Now I think you're kind of seeing from fan bases and people in the know saying, well, now you lost Oklahoma and Texas, Big 12. Why are we going to come to you? I think we're in the place to stay put, and I think teams need to come to us. So I, I, I think that's the thinking right now. But it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Let's wrap with this. On broadcasting, what are you expecting for the experience this season? Traveling back to games? So I actually traveled last year, which was weird. Um, so I, I ended up doing eight, and I had eight canceled. Um, I, I kind of know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm at, lib- at liberty of saying yet because it really hasn't been announced. Uh, but I will say this. I do have a home studio, so I could do a combination of things. Um, I could call from home. They could travel me. Uh, you know, I could do – uh, shows from home. So I, I, I'm good either way. Um, I love to travel, but you know, I, I think what COVID did show us is that we can be flexible. And at the end of the day, guys, you know, companies like Disney, which owns ESPN, you know, they, they need to save money too. So I, I have a feeling I will be a combination of uh, calling from my home studio and traveling. So if I had my brothers though, I would re- much rather travel uh, but at the end of the day, really, the most important thing is we get the season in, pack stadiums for the fans, and just have great football across the country. Picture it, though. Let me give you this idea. Live on a Lynx bus. Just ponder it. Just ponder it. We saw it successfully, or maybe not quite successfully. I, I, get, car, I get car sick, so I don't think I could do anything uh, from a moving bus, so I'm going to pass on that. Okay. Reedy and Golia, ESPN football analyst. Thanks so much for joining us on the Sons of Houston. Thanks, guys. Hope you have a great season. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, good stuff from him. By the way, Ken Niamatololo. I have to look at it. I can't just do that one for memory like I can do Rod Carey, you know. <laughs> So, Nia Matalolo, it's easy. Yeah, yeah. Got to be looking at that. Enjoy him hopping on with us just off the plane from Texas. Got to like that. Uh, this week's big question that I asked on Twitter, at Sign Pez, I at least feel going into this season now a little bit better about the defense. I don't know. Maybe it's being around Coach T. Well, has me excited. I asked, are you cautiously optimistic? The defense is going to come up big, or are you worried? 55% said cautiously optimistic. 42% said the defense is going to come up big. Perhaps, Mike, not the most uh, family-friendly way of phrasing it. There's only so many spaces uh, in in that Twitter poll, but uh, only 3% worried. What about you guys? You feel better about things now? I mean, they were 123rd ranked, right? You, you got to improve from there. Yeah, I think optimistic would be my answer on that, too. I think we talked about the D-line uh, last week and how we feel about the depth we have there and the guys that we got in there with the transfers and Barber and Big Cat. Uh, I think the questions are, who are the leaders in the back seven in the linebacking core and the in the secondary? Is Devon Wilson ready to step up? Is this Eric Gilliard's year? So I think that's where you're you're maybe a little bit unsure, but I think you got to be optimistic that we brought in some talent. Uh, we have some guys that we know can play really well, uh, and you got to hope that the scheme that T-Will will bring in and just his energy – 
is good. I don't know if uh, D coming up big is is where I'm at yet, but I think uh, I think optimistic is uh, is how I'd phrase it. When I saw that option, I had to vote for D coming up big. That was the <laughs> but we had the 120th ranked defense, and only three percent of people are worried coming into this season. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the transfers coming in, the change in coaching staff and philosophies, and the change with the offense, giving the defense more time to rest. Yeah, I think that's a big one. More time to rest. At uh, Media Day, had an opportunity to speak with Kalia Davis. Very welcome return from him. And just asked him, you know, what do you expect from this year's defense? We just need to come together and play for each other. I feel like that's a big part of football, like the brotherhood. You know, when you're looking at your left and your right, you know, you, you want to play for those people next to you. You know what I'm saying? So we bring that together, our brotherhood, which I, we're going to take a big step forward in this count. I feel like that's going to make us a very bad, uh, good defense. You know, one thing you've heard about, though, and that I'm, welcome back, Mike. Thanks, thanks for <laughs> Perhaps you thought it was a longer soundbite. The full interview, the full one-on-one -on -one interview with Kalia will be released on YouTube in just a little while. But it was a shorter bite for the Sons of UCF Live, Mike. <laughs> I have, um, I have, we have guests. My cousin's kids are here with my kids, and they're making some noise. So that was my one chance to go in that in the house and tell them to keep it down. Sorry. Or as we like to call you, Gus, uh, with the <laughs> shirt that you're, that you're wearing this week. Um, we, uh, we've heard over and over this sense of brotherhood because as it's really been identified, the way it was structured, Coach Heupel and the offense, Coach Randy Shannon on the defense, this was not one unified team under Coach Heupel. You get a greater sense of that. Everybody talking about that this season. Yeah, I think it was interesting. I saw the the videos that were shot by some of the guys out there, Brendan Helwig, Jason Beatty, uh, taking pictures and videos of the 15-minute snippets. And there was, a, I think it was on a Brandon Helwig's video, and it saw um, you saw T-Will bringing the defense together, and they were jumping up and down and spraying water bottles and bumping into each other. Not that Randy Shannon was, uh, was not excitable, but I don't think you would have seen that any day of the week under Randy Shannon. So I think that energy is there. You can see it. I think the guys are really buying into that. And, and, and Trace, I heard a lot of the interviews that you did during the media day stuff you heard the defensive guys saying some of those things as well so i think just the the new regime and the new spirit and new energy there um, is going to make a big difference on the defensive side of the ball i think these guys are already kind of admitting to that um, and i'm curious to see how that manifests itself on the field play like your hair's on fire that's what gus would say and that's what he said yesterday and, and that's what they're coming out to do every day now and t will is the guy to light that fire so uh, i'm excited to see what happens with this defense i think they're gonna we're gonna be in for a, a nice turnaround do you have a visor yet? Uh, and how is your Coach Malzahn impression? Are you working on that uh, as we get closer <laughs> to the start of the season? Uh, no, I'm just getting the shirt down for now. I'm not really a big visor guy. I was hoping he'd go more hat or, or do his hair. But um, impression, I'm not good at impression. Adam is the guy that does the impressions right here. Yeah, I need some time. I've got a raspy voice this week, so you're going to have to give me some time on that one. Gotcha. Well, Kalia Davis, we spoke about the defensive line last week. This week, talking about linebackers, a lot of questions about this group. You guys have said, as that back seven goes, so may go the defense. Adam, more of your thoughts. There are some guys returning here, though, that could step up. Again, improvement has to happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously we got back um, Jermaine Baptiste and, and Tatum Bethune, who were kind of pushed into duty last year after uh, Eric Mitchell was kicked off the team. So they got kind of baptism by fire out there. Eric Gilliard has been there for three seasons. And I talked about this on the podcast this week. I'm most excited about Bryson Armstrong. So he's the transfer from Kennesaw State. And here's the stat I gave on the show. He had in his four years at Kennesaw State, he had 314 tackles. 
for context. And Eric Gilliard's three seasons at UCF, he only has 174. So obviously, it's a different level of competition. Um, it's a different level of uh, of just just game out there. So I'm, I'm interested in Bryson Armstrong. I wasn't happy though with what T. Will said about him today in the press conference, which was an odd comment. Which was, um, I think the the quote was seven on seven and with a helmet on, maybe not so much. So I don't know what that means because I think you have to play with helmets on. So I'm not sure if that means he can't play with a helmet on. I don't really know. But Bryson Armstrong, I think, is going to be an interesting uh, figure in this defense this year. Can he replicate what he had at Kennesaw State? Because obviously this guy's a tackling machine, uh, and we need people who can fly around the ball. So if he can be that, I'm excited about that. But T. Will gave me a little bit of pause today on his press conference comments. No, I think he was just trying to emphasize that this guy is a gamer. When the pads are on, it's different when you're playing in just your your underwears and what they're doing the first couple of days. Then putting the pads on, hitting each other, this guy is going to get after it. So I'm not worried about him. I think he, he's going to come in and make a big impact. But the, the linebacker core has been the weakness probably of the defense for the last couple of years. We need that impact player since Shaquem left. We've had a couple guys here and there that are okay, but the, as a unit, it's probably been the weakest part of the defense. Are you more concerned? We'll talk about the secondary next week. More concerned about the linebackers or the the corners going into the season? I mean, the corners, they were very young last year, and a lot of them had to step in in the second half of the season once we lost a lot of guys. So at least they were able to get some experience. And then we had some transfers like Devon Wilson that came in, and you can see the impact he was making. He just didn't get to play that much early in the year. So now that he's got a full season, I have a little more faith in the, in the secondary coming in this year. Yeah, I, I think I'd go linebackers, actually, because I think you've got a guys who are returning. Um, I think the defensive line and the, uh, sort of the upgrade I think we see there, I think will help those guys. Um, so I'm going to go to the linebackers. I do think that we have talent. We, we saw what these guys can do. Um, Tatum Bethune last year, he had 57 tackles, seven TFLs. Uh, so he played well in the, in the times he was out there. He was just young. Uh, and so I'm going to go with linebackers because I think there there are some unproven guys in the secondary. I think we know what Devon Wilson maybe can do. We haven't seen Jaden Francois do much but walk down the sideline of the Boca Bowl, so we don't know what we're getting in him. Uh, obviously, we have young corners. Did they take the next step, and how's the defense going to help them? We have transfers coming in from Missouri and Auburn. How do they fit in, too? So I think there's more questions on the secondary. So I guess I'd go linebackers because at least we know what we have there. Um, and and you know maybe it's not exactly A level. Maybe it's the B-plus level, but we know what they are. I think the secondary is probably still a question mark. You know, the greatest improvement for the defense may just be the offense not having minute drives and putting them right back on the field. If Coach Malzahn is running the ball more, and again, some question marks at running back, uh, uh, you know, perhaps that defense gets a little bit more rest. And it was a lot of trial by fire last year. And, and again, uh, they, they can do nothing but benefit from the experience that they had in 2020. Well, I think black and gold Ed, who's on the screen there, I think he's got a great point. Uh, our linebackers were out of position a ton last year. And, he, and that's obviously one of two things. Either it was scheme, uh, and that's the way they were schemed up, or they weren't quite sure where they had to be at. So maybe that does change with coaching. Maybe that helps uh, with a new system or guys who are plugging the, the gaps with a big cat or a Ricky Barber or a Clea Davis back. But uh, that's a great point by black and gold Ed, because there were a lot of guys out of position last year from linebacker. Yeah, who was it we spoke to that when we were talking about the Cincinnati game, how they the, the tight ends were just killing us over the middle. And he kept saying, we really had no adjustment for it. We had no answers for that play. And this is the coaching staff now has to come in and be able to adjust on the run. All right. Next week, we wrap up uh, our preview of the defense by taking a look at the secondary. We'll talk about that on uh, next Thursday, Sons of UCF Live. Open up the mailbag. Uh, first question for Matt, UCF guy 23 Asking uh, why no one has asked about stadium naming rights. A week or so ago, we talked about there were rumors uh, from social media uh, that we might be hearing something soon. So far, nothing. 
that wasn't a question that has come up, but so far nothing. And uh, maybe UCF's just planning uh, that out when an announcement will come. At Deportes Man 85, is Daniel Obarski still kicker one on September 2nd? We'll talk about the special teams as things go along. You know, that's not a question that Coach Melzahn is likely to get many questions of uh, during camp, nor is he likely to reveal much about that battle, but uh, a lot of questions about that position. Yeah, I mean the the only videos that were out there, we saw Barsky miss uh, miss one in practice, and and Gus had a little commentary about with uh, with stuff like that. You're gonna make me go for it on fourth down, uh, and then then you saw um, then you saw Garen Bolniel, the uh, transfer from uh, Louisiana Tech, come in and knuckleball two through there. We didn't see any videos of Riker Casey, who uh, is a kid, a local kid with a big leg. We didn't see any videos of him, so I don't know if he actually got any any reps in there. But I think Gus is specifically going to try to find the right guy from a kicker perspective, uh, and. And I think he's going to open up the competition. And and so I don't think there's any sense of guarantee. If you made me give you a percentage that, that Obarski's the, uh, the opening day kicker, I'd go with 33%. I don't know what the best part of that video was. Was it him saying you're going to make me go for it on fourth down or him just coming over and saying, excuse me, excuse me, son. Before he, before he came on that, <laughs> that was great. But uh, I, we got to get some consistency out of the kickers, man. That can really kill the, the season, can uh, lose a game for us. And, and that can go ruin the entire season. Yeah, yeah. At Dan R. Cundiff asking two questions, uh, very good questions. What's the best way to truly rank the recruiting prowess of each recent UCF head coach? Uh, not stars in his opinion, starts, games played. Uh, he's looking forward to our thoughts. I do think you have to look at a class four or five seasons after it's been uh, – you know, the, the recruitment uh, period there, and, and you've actually got games under their belt, but definitely not stars. How they're coached up, I'd say by the number of guys that UCF has put into the pros over the last couple of seasons, that's a good indication. Yeah, the, the question itself is, how do you rank a, reclu- a recruiting class, right? And they haven't done anything before they got on campus. So how do you rank them? They haven't really done anything other than play at high school. So I think that the natu- natural answer is you have to wait until they've cycled their way through UCF to rank the recruiting class. Again, we live in a, uh, you know, a judge now society. We want answers five minutes after something's happened, right? After every draft, who won the draft? After every free agency, who won free agency? So I understand why we got to have to do that. But the question itself is the answer, which is you need to look at averages over time. I know there's a lot of great sites out there pro football focused on stuff like that. I think those are much better ways to look at film and grade out that way. Now, the problem is it's going to take time. So you don't get an answer tomorrow. Uh, and that's not the society we live in. We need answers tomorrow. So the, the correct way to do it would be to assess it over time. Look at the game film, look at what they did produ- production wise to figure out, you know, who really had the, the best players on their teams. But we get all these grades the day after the draft with A's, minus B's. But I mean, these people know in one day, you're telling me you can't tell right away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess games played is a good good way to look at it. And, and if you get a bunch of guys and they never see the field, then that wasn't a good class. But you get guys that come in and contribute every year, then that's that's one way of looking at it. Uh, you mentioned during the interview with Rini the ninth commitment of the uh, Malzahn era. The boom out today for offensive lineman Leighton Nelson uh, out of Orlando's Boonai. The big news there, of course, chooses UCF over Florida. We go to Dan's second question. Gus states he may be a little behind for the 22 class. Will 23 be be any better, or is Gus experiencing uh, recruiting from a non-SEC team perspective? Uh, I do think it is different in the American and at UCF than it was at Auburn and in the SEC. But remember, he came into this cycle a little bit late. And when you think back over the last couple of years, I mean, Coach Heupel came in 
right? Right as we were beginning that early signing period in December. So, you know, UCF has not exactly had the benefit of normal recruiting periods. A coach comes in, and then, of course, you deal with COVID last year. Here, Malzahn comes in later, but he is telegraphing a little bit. Maybe 23 and 24 are going to look better than 22. Yeah, see, I kind of took that as a shot at, at the previous staff because he said we came in a little behind, and, and then he said we fought like hell for these 22s. And, and to me, I, I interpreted that meaning he had a lot of work to do to either build relationships, get into local high schools that maybe he hadn't been in before, you know, form some sort of a connection with the local kids. So I kind of took that as a, as a kind of a backhanded, you know, slap, if you will, at the previous staff by saying they had to fight like hell to get on the on the radar of some of these 22s. Uh, and I think what, you, what he's saying is I'm building the inroads now to get us better in 23 and 24 so i interpreted that more as a, as a shot at, at hype in the staff versus you know some of an admission that maybe he he didn't have the class he wanted i was a little surprised by the comments i he was recruiting at auburn so he did have relationships with some of these players i know it's one thing to say recruiting them at auburn and another thing that he's recruiting them at ucf but it's not like he didn't know the players in advance when he took the job he said i know all the best players and i'm going to go after them uh, he hasn't been able to land any five stars and not too many four stars, but I expect it to get better in the next couple of seasons. At UCF, not NAUT. I love this question. Did Danny White take the Tennessee job knowing Texas and OU would be in the SEC in the near future? We know, right, from comments so far that these conversations have been back-channeled for maybe up to a year. Certainly, Tennessee administration would know something about that going on. That, I think, is an interesting, you guys like the speculation. That's a pretty good speculative question. Yeah, I guess, why would that make him take the job, though, right? Why would he then say, oh, well, Texas and Oklahoma, I'm all in, right? I think if he wanted the job, he was going to take the job no matter who was in the conference. I think the payday was one thing. I think, obviously, getting to a, uh, an SEC school was another. Um, I do think, if you want to speculate, I do think he he probably saw some of the some of the possible positions UCF would be in in a few years with scheduling, with fundraising, with with um, with facilities and maybe decided it was time to get out. But I don't know why that would entice him to take the job. I think if he wanted the job, he was taking it no matter who was in the conference. Um, I also don't know that, you know, Tennessee is such a dumpster fire of a lot of things. I can't imagine somebody in Tennessee said, hey, Danny, don't tell anybody, but Texas and Oklahoma, like, why would, why, would they, why would they do that to get an AD at Tennessee? I, I, I just don't see that. Yeah, he took the job for one reason, and that's money. And they pay him a lot more than we paid him. Uh, it's, it's an SEC school. And if he can build Tennessee back up to where they used to be in the, in the early 90s, then he can get a lot of credit, and he'll be gone from there too. He'll be over at Notre Dame or somewhere else. Notre Dame. At Brian W. Peterson, last week we couldn't get away from news about the Big 12 conference realignment. This week, nothing but crickets. When, when will we know more? I do think, and I want to read the exact quote from AAC Commissioner Mike Oresco, who – uh, really, you could tell the legal background. He has 30-minute session with the media. He speaks uh, off of notes for more than 15 minutes. He takes all of four questions. But his quote is, any suggestion or statements that we colluded with ESPN is a completely unfounded and grossly irresponsible accusation. Commissioner Resco not liking uh, Commissioner Bowlesby's uh, assertion there. But we haven't heard a whole lot, and you heard Rini say it, that maybe the next domino – uh, really opens floodgates. 
Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that the Big 12, admittedly, um, I think they've said this, got caught off guard by the decisions by Texas and Oklahoma. I think the other conferences clearly seem to have gotten caught off guard. So I think the initial like knee-jerk reaction of what are we going to do next? Who's going to do what? And now I think you've got the, the calm of, okay, let's sit back and figure this out. I think it's the next domino that will sort of really figure that out. We heard this week that the that the Big 12, Bob Bowlesby, was meeting with the Pac-12 commissioner, and they were thinking about some sort of scheduling alliance. Uh, you heard some rumors. Somebody in, in Kansas was saying he, he's got a source that says Kansas to the Big Ten. Obviously, that would be a domino to fall. So I think it's that next domino that really escalates the conversation at this point because um, I think, obviously, knee-jerk reaction. We have to react now. What do we do? And now that now that some time has gotten in between, I think that's where things calm down. But whatever the next domino is, I think that's where you see the floodgates again. Yeah, I think the SEC caught all these other conferences off guard. It, and if they were ready for this, then they would be prepared with their next move. And it doesn't look like they were. So uh, I'd expect the Big Ten to act next, if not the Pac-12. At Brett underscore McMurphy with the, uh, the line this week on Twitter saying, if you're keeping track so far, we have the following air quotes there. Reports, Kansas to Big Ten is imminent. West Virginia in official talks with ACC. Louisiana Tech and Louisiana to Big 12. FSU and Clemson contacting the SEC. AAC will raid Big 12. We'll see which of those, if any, uh, come true. At Zeebles, UCF, two E's, two B's there. How important do you think playing well this season is with regards to conference realignment? Will another conference championship help with any hypothetical negotiations or maybe it doesn't matter? I, I think it's about brand and certainly wins. Rini talked about it. Wins solve all sorts of problems. Wins sell tickets, uh, lead to donations. Uh, UCF needs to get back its swagger and contend in the American, but I'm not sure that it matters. I'd rather be where UCF is than where the cows are. Uh, certainly they being maligned by their own media in Tampa. Yeah, I mean, wins doesn't solve the problem. Money solves the problem, right? So whatever conference thinks that schools can generate money, that's the those are the schools getting invited. And how do you do, how do you generate money? I've really talked about uh, TV contracts. I think the Big Twelve last time when they did the song and dance, their 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 stance was none of these teams add any value to us from a conference perspective in terms of eyeballs, television contracts. So I think that is where you you end up making your mark. Now clearly you need to win to do that, right? But I think money is what they're looking at. You know, who can bring in the most revenue? You know, who's got an opportunity to grow? Who's got an opportunity to have great facilities? You know, where can we have a re uh, recruiting grounds and where can the TV contracts? Because that's that's what this is, right? It's all TV contract game at this point. So who can bring the best TV market? Obviously, if UCF can put numbers up on the board from a ratings perspective, uh, and, and that is a big help and you need to win to do that. Uh, so I think money first, winning second. Yeah, winning definitely helps. If Kansas had a winning football program, they'd be a shoe-in to the Big Ten right now. They have one of the worst football programs in the country. They have a very good basketball program. But if they were winning, they'd be good. Uh, UCF, we're, our fan base is growing the way it is because we've been winning in the last few years. So it, it does play a part. We, it's not the most important thing. Obviously, the fan base and how much money they can make off of us is. But uh, winning definitely plays a part. We'll wrap up with that two letters, two words. Robert, if the SEC pushes other conferences to expand, could UCF overcome hesitations from FSU and Miami to become a part of the ACC? And do academics have uh, matter in any of these conference affiliation talks? I think, Adam, you hit on it. Who brings money if uh, FSU and Miami think UCF moves the needle and brings more money in, then they'll welcome them with open arms. But if not, then uh, that still doesn't seem a most likely destination for UCF. 
And how solid are those teams in in the uh, uh, ACC, right? We obviously Florida State's "quote unquote" flirting with other conferences. I think people have said that as soon as they can get out of that conference, they would absolutely welcome to do so. There were some reports that Miami, maybe to the Big Ten. I don't know how true some of that stuff is. I heard on a local show in Miami, but maybe maybe Miami to the Big Ten. So how how solid are those two, you know, in the ACC anyway? So I, I think anything's possible at this point. I, I mean, outside of of Outside of UCF going to the SEC, I legit think, and maybe the Pac-12, I legit think anything is possible. Yeah, do we want to be in an ACC that doesn't have Florida State and Miami? That's probably the biggest draw of us going there is playing them every year. We got to do what's best for us long-term. Like I said, the SEC and the Big Ten are the two. If we can somehow get into one of those, that's all we need. And that is this week's Mailbag. Another great guest on episode 141, Joe Burnett from The Vault. Uh, always good to hear from Smoking Joe. Smoking Joe, yeah. And listen, if you don't know about Smoking Joe, uh, just do a quick little YouTube Google, uh, and you will find um, some of the most ridiculous plays in a UCF uniform. Hall of Famer, all around good guy. So uh, listen to Joe Burnett. Yeah, I love Smoking Joe, a legend at UCF, and it was a great interview. I just listened to it back again myself. You know, Mike, you're Mr. Hot Take. Uh, a couple hours ago on Twitter, you teased a big announcement. Uh, I know. 56 after. Uh, are, you, are you ready for the reveal? I've been waiting the whole show. I was just waiting for you guys to give me the cue. I got a new t-shirt. It's the Gus Malzahn shirt. No, that is not the big announcement. Oh, we thank need- goodness, because that's anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're disappearing for a couple of seconds. The best part of this today. But- uh, us at the Sons of UCF, we, are, we pride ourselves on doing things big around here. We've teased it. Over the last few months, we've been talking about it. And finally now, it is official. We have something set up. We have partnered with Tailgate Guys. And we are going to bring you guys, the fans, the biggest tailgate party at UCF for the opening game against Boise State. We will be right there in front of the stadium at Iowa Plaza. We have a big setup coming. There's going to be a concert there. The concert series hasn't been announced yet, but there will be a concert. We're going to set up right there in the best location possible. You know what it's going to cost you? Nothing. Just come hang out with us and kick the season off the proper way. Wow. You didn't didn't know about that. I did not know about that. Mr. Deep Pockets springing for this. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. We've gotten so much response from the fans, and we just – we haven't been able to hang out with them, right? Last year was a weird year, and now this is our chance now. And get to meet everybody, and we can't wait to do it. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Obviously, we you know we enjoy interacting with everybody. If they listen to the show, watch the show, comments, Twitter, emails, whatever. Uh, so, looking forward to meeting up with some people that we've we've met through the interwebs here over the last couple of years, uh, and just celebrate the fact that football is back, UCF is back, and uh, hopefully we'll have a great season ahead of us. So, looking forward to having people come out. Make sure you check us out um, again. As Mike said, tailgateguys.com helped us get all this put together. So, uh, maybe have special guests. You never know who'll be wandering by. Uh, Mike wants to tease a bunch of special guests that we have not yet booked yet. So uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but you never know who will be wandering by. Maybe we have some prizes, some giveaways. I feel like Mike has 37 more hats to give away at some point. So uh, you never know what it'll be. Come by, say hello, have a drink, uh, cheer on your nights, do what you, whatever you want to do. But we're looking forward to meeting everybody. There Since will be some hats. Uh, nearly every quarterback that's ever played at UCF, and you've been talking about a skills competition. Might that be some of the pregame entertainment? You never know. Also, I've been teasing a fight, bare knuckle brawl between the oh, two. Here we go. <laughs> There's going to be a stage there. Now so we have a venue, know. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, if you're going to the game, 
you're going to pass our tailgate. Unless you're coming from the other side of the stadium. This is right in front of the main entrance. Stop by, say hello. Stop by, hang out with us for five, six hours if you want. Or come by for 10, min 10 minutes, say hello. We will be there all day um, getting this season ready. What is Prime Mike's lit up for the game time? About three hours before the game, two hours before the game? What's the, what's the sweet spot there? Ooh. I mean, I'm going to be on campus. I plan at least five hours before the game, right? I, I usually like to get into the stadium um, at least 20 minutes early so I get a beer and go to the bathroom. But the, the great thing about where we're going to be tailgating, it's very short walk. You're right there. I don't have to – you don't have to take stuff back to your car. You don't have, I mean, I've seen people with these wagons going back and forth. That doesn't look like any fun. We're going to have the tents there. We're going to have the chairs. We're going to have – I mean, you have to bring your own booze because I'm not bringing booze for everybody. But we'll figure that part out, too. You never know. We may have a surprise there coming up later. And stay tuned the next couple of weeks because, like Adam said, we may have some special announcements of who's going to be there. All right. So uh, tank top or this shirt? Uh, what's the pregame look? I haven't decided that either. It's probably going to be a hot one. So I may start out with the tank top, maybe an hour in, put this shirt on, and, you know, and then get game ready. I think we got, it's black. Fans wear black for the first game. So I'm not wearing a black shirt all day, I can tell you that. Here's what's funny. Um, uh, yes, Jan, we will have seltzers. I'm all seltzer all the time, so we will have seltzers for Brit. Um, Mike referenced hanging out with us for five or six hours. My family won't hang out with me for five or six hours. <laughs> I don't expect any of you people to do that either, nor would I encourage you to do that. You, you'll probably never be the same. Now, come and go as you please. And, and, and I mean, if you're partying with us, we get we have the bathrooms are right there. It's a very good setup. Everything you need is already there waiting for you. Just 28 days away uh, from the Boise State home opener, September 2nd. The big announcement, the big reveal here at the end, the big tailgate party for the Sons of UCF out at Iowa Plaza. You cannot miss it. We will be talking about it more on the pod and on this show. want to thank Reedy Angolia for joining us with a stellar internet connection this time around. Uh, the last time he joined us, we had a, some issues on a pregame show last season, so all of that worked well. Uh, next week, we take a look at the secondary. Follow me on Twitter, at SignPez. I'll have more from UCF Camp. Planning to be out there Friday morning. We'll see what Zabruder film we can get of kickers or stretching drills. And, of course, more sound and more insights as training camp is underway for the Knights. Thanks, everyone, for watching. I'm Trace Trolko. Go Knights! Charge on. Party on. Tailgate. Sports Social Podcast Network.